Hello and welcome to COVID Stories, a podcast series regarding leadership following the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Dallas Emerson, Director of Business Development at the IT Guys. Before we get started, these interviews were conducted during the COVID lockdown and were held over Microsoft Teams. Any sound quality issues are the result of social distancing that we're all too familiar with. If you're listening on our site, we're thrilled to have you, but you might find it easier to listen to COVID stories through iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Joining me today is Mike Emerson, CEO of the IT Guys. This will be a different kind of episode in that we'll be talking about what we've learned and seen throughout the COVID pandemic. Today's discussion is focused on technology and the technical problems we've seen. How you doing, Mike? Doing great, Dallas. How are things over there? Things are going well. Awesome. So, Mike, everyone is a virtual worker now. You know, we mentioned last time that we spoke that everybody in our company was always a virtual worker, or at least, you know, for the last decade and more. But uh, everyone in North America just about is a virtual worker now, unless you're an essential worker. So what what technology has changed that has made it to where we can all work outside of the office? What, what are we doing differently today? Well, it's funny that you ask that question because it wasn't long ago that I was not a cloud advocate at all. Uh, not because I was a troglodyte and thought you have to be in an office, but it's just the cloud offerings hadn't matured to the point where I would feel confident relying on it. You know, it's just everyone's throwing stuff up in the cloud and calling it a cloud, whether it is or not. So in, you had, you know, Bob's cloud and, Everybody else's cloud. And I, and, and sometimes it was just the same old stuff we'd seen before and somebody just called it cloud now, you know, like, uh, versus private networks or VPNs or remote desktops and calling them cloud. And so it just wasn't really an option. And so I kind of gotten jaded by the whole thing. Well, it was about, you know, four years ago that I saw four, maybe even five that we could see the real maturation of the cloud environment and people are still trying to feel their way through it but you thought wait a minute now this is starting to look like a viable deal and so what's happened is the technology's finally caught up to, to the hype because uh, before it was all hype and, and no substance and so now we actually have through different you know cloud providers uh, my my favorite being Microsoft SharePoint online and OneDrive um are actually delivering what they say they could do, and they couldn't do that before, or not in a way you'd want to use it. Um, it's like this old logo you say when the guy hit himself on the head with a hammer and says, it feels so good when you stop. Uh, that's the way that was. You could do it, but it was misery. And so now we actually can do it. And, you know, we've always told people the great thing about the cloud is, you know, work where you want to work, when you want to work, and what you want to work with. And you now you can do it. So that's the big difference. You know, you'd mentioned VPN there, uh, and uh, just for for our listeners maybe who consider themselves not very tech savvy, though I always remind people, uh, I, I've gotten emails from people who say, well, I'm not very tech savvy, that they sent from their new phone uh, that they just got using a third-party email system, uh, and their phone just got its fifth update of the week. <laughs> we, you know, people tend to be more tech savvy than they think. But for those who say they're not very tech savvy, what is the difference between kind of what you would describe as the cloud or the real, you know, the cloud cloud, official cloud, versus having a VPN? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the cloud versus VPN for me 
is like going to Ruth Chris Steakhouse would be the club and a McDonald's would be the VPN. Now, don't <laughs> wrong, I'm a big McDonald's fan too, but it is not Ruth Chris Steakhouse. So, you know, with a VPN, it's very limiting. Uh, to throw a little tech, techno jargon in there because they almost have to, a VPN is a point-to-point deal. I'm here, I connect to a server back somewhere else, usually at my office. And it's a secure tunnel that's created, so nobody can, you know, it's encrypted, nobody can, you know, steal what I'm doing. Uh, but it's limited. And so VPNs are also uh, famously finicky, uh, prone to crash, prone to, to be just problematic. And as we have talked about before, association and nonprofit people are very mobile. And so they go to hotels all the time for, for conferences and whatnot. And hotels are notoriously bad places to hook up to, through a VPN. Their, their internet connection services tend to be sketchy, and VPNs don't like that. Okay. Well, Whereas, don't, don't even many hotels and conference centers block the ports that most VPNs rely on? Oh, absolutely, yeah. That, thanks for bringing that up, because they're being very security conscious, as well they should. So what they do is they, they lock down pretty much every what's called a port that you can use online except port 80, which is used for internet, uh, uh, like going web browsing, HTTP, HTTPS protocol, protocols. I'm being techie again. But for, to protect themselves and other, other guests, they lock down everything else, which means you can't even use a VPN there, which is a mixed blessing. You probably want to anyway. Uh, but with, since most cloud-based, uh, storage options now use traditional browser-based protocols, you can get to your stuff anywhere and it's, it's, it's as reliable as it's going to be. And so that's great. So it, it makes you basically more functional, more flexible where you work. You can work in your car. You and I've done that before. We've been on our phones and people say, Oh, I need to make a change to something or other. Boom. You jump on your phone, you change it and then not while well driving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not while driving. No. Uh, I, I, I can't do that while I'm driving because I have a hamburger in one hand and a drink in the other hand. So I have no other hands left for, for editing data. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, that's, that's the big thing in my mind, is the technology finally caught up with what everybody said it was. Before, it was a lot of snake oil, uh, and more snake and less oil. And I think sometimes, the, I've seen this being, uh, I'm going to use the term, peddled by a lot of uh, MSPs, or managed service providers, of their cloud, which is really just a data center, which is really just a server co-location center, which is really just for from the... Uh, uh, user's perspective, just a VPN to a server that isn't in their office, but is just in uh, their uh, IT service provider's office, which is also not the cloud. I tell people it's kind of like the mist or a fog. It's similar, <laughs> but it's not. It's not a cloud. It's not a cloud at all. No, but again, it's it's hype. It's what people say it is. You know, so people that do things that that that, that hype things like that are counting on the technical. Um, inexperience of the, their audience to say, well, I guess it's a cloud because you're telling me it is. Um, but if they're, if they're talking to someone who knows what they're talking about, so you go, ah, uh, that's not a cloud. You can't tell me that. And that's what happens. And so, yeah, you see a lot of people saying, oh, we're cloud this, we're cloud that, and they're really not. Yeah. I mean, so, basically, if, if your, if your quote cloud solution ties you down to a specific server somewhere it's not cloud it's just a server somewhere else and 
let me go on record uh, saying servers are bad. Uh, and you say, well, why, Mike? You say servers are bad. They're expensive. They're the most expensive piece of IT equipment in your office. They require a lot of support by a lot of highly specialized individuals to do it. Uh, and if they have a problem, you're dead. So the objective that we had, the IT guys had, when we started this whole thing and came up with the 501 cloud uh, management system was the elimination of servers anywhere. As, as much as we could. I mean, obviously, somewhere when you're in a cloud-based environment, there's a server somewhere that you're dealing with. But like, let's use, let's use again, let's use uh, Microsoft SharePoint. Your connection with that is so abstracted at that point that you don't care that it's a server anymore. It's just a thing. It's a cloud, literally. And, but in a, in a VPN environment or in a remote desktop environment, which a lot of people peddle as cloud, it's still real. It's still a real connection to a real server that you know about. And you, that's not good. So that's my rant about servers. Thank you. So what do you say then to the person? Because I know we've encountered this, this, uh, this argument before. Uh, they're trying to be very good stewards of their money, and they hear you say servers are bad, and they're going, yes, servers are bad. I can save some money here. But they decide to go to the extreme, and they say, well, what do I need the cloud for? Why don't I, if I go fully virtualized office? You know, we have no physical location. I've got everybody working on their their company system uh, at home, but we don't need a cloud-based uh, connection. If we need to collaborate on a document, if we need to share a document, we'll just email it to each other. We'll save everything on our on our devices, and we'll we'll just collaborate ad hoc. What do you say to that kind of person? I'm I'm trying to think of what I would say to that person uh, that I could say during this this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's just not the way to do it. I mean. You're going the wrong direction. Let's put it that way. That would be my way, my, my polite way of saying this. Uh, other than what are you thinking would be you're going the wrong way. What, what happens when you do that? And I know people that do it. They're, they're, they're good guys. They think they know where they're going, but they don't. What happens is you're siloing your data. Each person, let's say you're in a pro, in the, in the programs area. You have your programs data and you own that and nobody else does. And it's amazing. You need to share that data more than you think you do. And you find out how much you have to do when you have to email it to everybody. And then once you email it to somebody, now there's a copy out in the world. And they email that. They, they in turn email that to somebody else. Now there's two copies out in the world and it proliferates. And you can't operate that way. You need one. What's my motto, Dallas? You've heard me say it a million times. There's one copy of the truth or there should be. And what I mean by that is there's only one copy of a file. Uh, and everyone goes to that same file to work. You don't send copies of the file to people to do the work and somehow hope that a miracle occurs and you can collate all the changes that were made to that file into a single document again because it won't happen. It won't happen properly. So yeah, I would tell the people you're going the wrong way. Uh, I admire your, your motive and I admire your desire, but no, don't do that. It kind of brings me to a point about hybridized offices where you've got some of your, let's say your working data, your day-to-day information, that's in the cloud. But then you've got, you know, maybe QuickBooks or some other third-party provider, and it has to live on a server. Or maybe you're a part of a national organization, right, that has a database, a proprietary database they built, and it needs a device it has to live on in the office. What do you do in that kind of situation? Well, that's a tough. The third, the third case is the worst of all. Um, 
because you have no choice. You're stuck. Uh, fortunately, we don't see that happen a lot. It happens sometimes. Uh, I would encourage people to, to commit to moving to the cloud as much as possible. Uh, the, the risk of leaving behind pieces that you could move but don't move is that you're still tying yourself back to physical infrastructure back at your office. And as an example, uh, when the COVID bomb exploded uh, in early March, uh, our client base all moved to remote work. Those that had listened to what we were talking about early on, when I said I, was, I encouraged our clients, move your accounting systems to the cloud as well. Uh, some did, some didn't. Those that did found the, the migration to homework truly easy because everything was already there. They didn't have to do anything. Those that had not made that change to cloud-based uh, third-party apps uh, were, were scrambling. And so what we had to do is jury rig remote access to those systems that were still tied back to physical infrastructure. And we could do it. It, we, it worked, but it wasn't optimum at all. Whereas the ones that had made the move to the cloud, they were just it was just another day, at, quote, at the office. Um, and we were fortunate, and it sounds funny to say this, we were fortunate with, that COVID was kind to us from an infrastructure point of view. Obviously, we wreaked havoc on the people, but the, the offices still existed and could still, the computers were still there, the servers were still there, and you could get to them remotely or physically if you had to. With um, tornadoes, earthquakes, whatnot, that stuff is gone. Then you have a real problem. So I anyway, I encourage people as much as possible, when you make the decision to move to the cloud, move everything if you can. There are obviously times you can't, and we work around those things. But that's my advice, because it will make life simpler and less stressful as you move forward. And I think one of the big pushbacks I hear pretty regularly is, well, I don't want to have to be stuck in paying that subscription fee for that cloud-based service. And, you know, I got bad news for anybody out there who's going, yep, that's that's exactly where I am. That's exactly what I don't want to be doing. Uh, that's where everything's headed. Uh, when it comes to software, more and more and more, we're going to be seeing subscription fees rather than lump sum purchases. Now, the good news is if you were to look at the lifespan of that software that you would have purchased versus the service that you're now paying a subscription fee for, uh, it pretty much works out the same. Uh, you just get to see the bill every month when you're in a subscription model. Uh, but that's one of the biggest pushbacks I see. And unfortunately, I think fortunately, because it keeps more operating cash on hand at any given moment, but unfortunately from the perspective of people who really dislike it, um, that's just how the world is shifting. Yeah, actually, uh, the, the bright side to subscriptions is that it keeps you current on your software. And uh, a lot of places we go to, you find that they're running, you know, QuickBooks 2014, you know, which is not even supported anymore. Uh, and if there's a problem, they can't get any support from Intuit about it uh, or whomever the supplier of their software might be. So the great thing about subscriptions is you always get the most current stuff. And that's great because you don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, I got to do this massive upgrade from like five generations back. And sometimes there's problems with that. You've got to, you've got to do like three upgrades really because you can't upgrade from the first one you've got to the newest. There's no direct path there. So you, you make yourself more work, more time, more expense, uh, and more chances for things to jump the tracks in the process than you might want. We've both done speaking engagements. We've talked to organizations about virtual, virtualizing the office. Uh, 
for a long time, well before anybody had heard the term COVID-19. And I find it funny now talking about it because now it is where everybody lives. Uh, so trying to explain to people, though, that you, this is not just the virtual office is not just something that you should be working in in the worst of times. You should be working in a virtualized environment. That doesn't mean always working outside of the office, but you should be as distinct or as, as far away from physical infrastructure as you can be in the best of times. I think it's something we're going to have to, as a business culture, kind of wrap our heads around. Would you agree? Totally. In fact, we were talking to um, an association I guess thought leader would be a good term for him just the other day, kind of addressing that and how that they're looking at moving their organization to more of a, uh, how much you would call it exactly, but a, a loose office slash virtual office uh, uh, environment where they would have people scheduled for X number of days per week. You know, uh, Jim comes to the office for two days on Monday and Wednesday and Sue on Tuesdays and Fridays or whatever. Uh, and if like during this time as we're recovering from COVID, if they don't feel comfortable going to the office, they don't have to. They can still get their work done. But the, the office becomes the place where you go to when you have to go there for some reason, either a, a meeting that you can't do through remote means or you just have to be there for whatever purpose. But it's like you have an office that supports 10 people, but you have a 30 person staff. They don't have to be there at the same time. And I, that's a great idea. And I think that's a, a, an intermediate step for a large organization as opposed to the small ones who just say, forget it. I'm going to walk out the door and lock it and never go back. And I've heard that said too. So this has caused people to think in a whole lot of different ways. And the technology allows it to be, to, to, to happen, which is great. And the good news is people like Zoom and their infamous security problems and uh, Microsoft Teams uh, are just going to get better as we rely on them more because we will demand it. So it becomes less of a technological curiosity and more of a technological necessity. And when that happens, uh, it's just going to, it's going to get better. And I can just quickly say, I find something fascinating in those first weeks that we were all virtualizing, uh, we saw a lot of performance problems with Zoom, Skype, if God help you, you were still using Skype, Teams, um, FaceTime even was having performance issues. And what I find fascinating, it's one of the underreported stories of this era sounds so grand, but of this time frame. But one of the great underreported stories is that those are working really well now. The, the oh, yeah. problems we saw are almost entirely gone, uh, which really does uh, uh, give a lot of credence to the idea that we can adapt pretty quickly. Uh, that the, the, that, uh, and, and it does make me feel very good that the internet was stabilized. I don't know if you remember those doom and gloom clickbait headlines from even reputable media sources saying that the internet was on the brink of collapse. Um, and then we all watched Tiger King at the same time. <laughs> I didn't, by the way. I was the one guy that didn't watch it. Yes, um, you're, you're the, you're the one man in America, if not the Western hemisphere. I was too busy watching the great British baking show. So, <laughs> um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, in the background, these service providers cranked up, uh, um, their resources like crazy. It was amazing to see because Zoom was not built for what it's doing today. 
No. Not on the volume it's doing today. And so like any anything, when you stress it enough, the seams are going to start to, to pop. And that's what happened with Zoom uh, and, and, and many of these tools. And so the the people that deliver those tools cranked them up. And it was uh, I was pretty impressed to watch it happen. As a technologist, I went, well, you go, guys. I'm glad I didn't have to do that, but good for you. <laughs> and that's been one of the big pushbacks. Now, I will say less so in the last year or so as people have gotten more and more comfortable with the idea of moving to the cloud. But I still hear it occasionally, well, how are we supposed to work when we don't have Internet access? Well, the first thing I say is, well, most decent cloud services, SharePoint, for example, Box.com, for example, already create kind of an auto-sync on your computer of kind of a, a working set of data that when you do get back to the Internet, it'll sync right up and in the background. You won't really notice anything. But that, um, you know, we're here in Austin, and uh, for those who don't, no, Austin is kind of infamous, particularly for Spectrum users, it seems. For Spectrum kind of just flipping a switch and going, who lost Internet? Oh, you did? Okay, now we know what that switch does. Uh, and I'm, and we constantly we have so much infrastructure work going on all the time, I'm convinced that the uh, competing companies are cutting each other's cables just to make people unhappy. <laughs> uh, but what's been amazing is that while we have seen a lot of stress on our home networks, and we've seen that across the board, we haven't seen them fail, and we've seen very few Internet outages in general, which makes me very suspicious about, well, why was it so much of a problem last summer? Um, and so that's one of the things I'd encourage people who are really looking at making the, the, the full jump, full-on cloud jump. Um, Internet services are becoming more and more stable. So if you're worried about what happened a couple of years ago or if you had a bad experience with one particular office where your Internet kept dropping out, I'd really encourage you uh, to look at how things have been in the worst of times, relatively stable from a from an, uh, a connectivity standpoint. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, just in my in my career, I've seen well before when I was early on, there was no internet. You know, what it was the Defense Department had it, but nobody else. Um, when the internet first crawled out of the slime, you know, twenty twenty five years ago for the for the masses, it was pathetic. Um, Windows didn't even support it. You had to load special software to be able to get on the Internet. And then your Internet provider charged you by the hour, and the service was terrible. But it was a novelty. It was like, whoa, I'm connected to something somewhere else. It was That was cool. Now, you know, kids get all warped out of shape if their iPhone doesn't work as fast as they think it should without even giving a second thought to what's going on behind the scenes to make that happen. And where I'm going with this is I think that in the not-too-distant future, Internet connectivity will be as ubiquitous as electricity is now. I mean, not everyone has electricity, I understand that. But at the same time, most of us do. We walk into the room, we flip a light switch on, and we don't wonder, is the light going to come on? It's assumed that it will. The same thing will be with, with Internet connectivity. It will just be everywhere through whatever. It's a 5G, you know, burning holes in our brains, uh, is whatever it is. It's there and it's all around and you don't think about it not working. It just does. And at that point, the uh, adoption of cloud becomes inevitable because that's, there's no other way you want to do it. Why would you be tied back to some boat anchor server somewhere that limits how you can get to your stuff when if you're cloud based, you can get your stuff anytime you want and the speed is, is excellent. You know, so the next 10 years are going to be really interesting to see. I was just talking to one of our techs earlier today. And this is just a story to tell you what I'm talking about. 
a while back I was doing something on the web and I was searching and I found an ad from the late 70s for a five megabyte hard drive, five megabyte now, not gigabyte, for $10,000. You can get a five terabyte drive now for under $300. So the difference between a megabyte and a terabyte is enormous. I'm not a math guy. I won't do it for you, but it's huge. But back in that time when I probably saw that ad and I thought, Holy cow, that is amazing. You know, five what, megabytes. And now we look at it and go, that's a joke. Well, 10 years from now, we're going to do the same kind of thing. Because technology, the, the rate of, advan- of, of, of improvement is advancing geometrically. One advancement leads to the next one being developed faster. So in 10 years, we're going to look back at what we're talking about now and go, why were they ever questioning this stuff? <laughs> And, you know, kind of on the point of to, to circle back around, we were talking about using or the, the virtual office is not just a, a an environment or work, a work environment for the worst of times, but that really something we, we believe associations, nonprofits and some for profits can work in all the time. Uh, I'm reminded of Roger Ariaga when we were talking over at the uh, Texas Affiliation of Affordable Housing Providers when he said that we made him look like ge- like a genius for implementing all these tools. Well, you know, we didn't make any changes to his setup when COVID-19 hit. We didn't make any changes to anybody's setup, except maybe for those who had uh, QuickBooks on a server in some back room, then they needed uh, easy access to that online. So we've really built things in such a way that when the worst comes, you shouldn't have to change anything. And, and, We've hinted at this before, the, the, the difference between disaster recovery and operational continuity. And it sounds a little bit radical to say, but disaster recovery is outdated. It's outmoded. If you are thinking about your technology, now I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't have a disaster recovery plan for if your office burns down. But from an infer- from an IT perspective, you should be focused on what we consider or what we call operational continuity. The idea of when something like COVID-19 happens, you have a rolling disaster, or let's just say you're building floods and you no longer can use your building and you don't know when you can get back in because now there's mold growing or you know wild animals have taken over. You need the ability to continue to work as though Nothing happened. Even if your work is focused on fixing the problems, you still need to probably keep your day-to-day operations going. You still need to, if you're a membership-driven organization, you still need to serve your members. If you're a mission-driven organization, there's still children or animals or what have you in need. And so focusing on an operational continuity plan is one of the, I think that's, when, when Roger says we made him look like a genius, it's because of that. It's not because we had all these great tools. Uh, It's because of the way that we implemented them and the way that that uh, Roger and his team and and other clients like uh, top or tap, as they they call them, uh, implemented them, setting it up in such a way that we're not reliant. There's no single point of failure. You know, Microsoft, for example, is based in Seattle. Well, Seattle could get hit by a meteor and the way 2020 is looking, that might happen in December. Um, but if Seattle were to get hit, their services would still, uh, would, would be, would continue. 
you know, TAP would still be running. TSE would still be running because we've decentralized things in such a way and these service providers have decentralized things in such a way that we're no longer reliant on any one geographic area. And that, I think, is one of the most exciting aspects is to tell people, stop planning to put the pieces back together when it all falls apart. Just plan for it to not fall apart. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's funny you mentioned uh, Roger's anecdote. Um, I'll share one of my own. Uh, It was neat. One of the coolest things that's happened since we've been in business. Uh, Tiffany McGee from Texas Trial Lawyers called me about a week into this. Uh, and for the record, let me just interrupt you real quick. I think she actually mentioned this during our call, uh, but, or during our discussion, um, which I think is really neat. But please continue. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, anyway, I was in the car and, and I saw my phone pop. I was in a parking lot. I wasn't driving. Uh, <laughs> McGee pops up on my phone. And I thought, okay, what's going on here? So I answered the call and she's, she's very, you know, hi, Mike, how are you? Blah, blah. She said, I just want to call and say thank you. And I said, what did I do? <laughs> she said, you made me look so smart to our board because when all this started, all we had to do was go home and we were ready to go from day one. And I wanted to call you and tell you thank you. Well, A, that was the coolest thing any of our clients have. I never had a client call me and say thank you. That was really, really awesome for me. Uh, I was telling everybody I could find that day, the, the, the kid at, at Arby's, you know, hey, he called me and said thanks. Um, so that was so, so great. But at the same time, I've told prospective clients when I've talked to them that our job is to make them look smart. Our job is to make them be a hero because by eliminating IT as a source of concern and outrageous expense and then to have someone come back in the middle of a, of just the world falling apart and say thank you was just the greatest thing for me. It was It was worth everything. But it was also a confirmation that what we were doing was what we wanted to do. We making people look smart. Tiffany, Roger, and everybody else who didn't have the world collapse around their heads came through this, as far as technology is concerned, pretty well. And, you know, I was going to ask you, but I I think we've really answered it. I was going to ask you, what is it? Because a few of our clients during these uh, conversations we've had have mentioned the IT guys, and, and, and pardon me as I, uh, as I try not to strain patting myself on, on the back. Oh, go ahead. Um, they've mentioned that the IT guys were instrumental to their, their continued success, even during this crisis. But I think we've really already talked about what it is that makes our model work, that we're focused on decentralizing offices. We're focused on making sure that our clients have the greatest degree of mobility as possible. We're focused on trying to anticipate problems. Uh, you know, we talked about a nuclear war. Well, you know, that's uh, if you're prepared for a nuclear war, you're prepared for a pandemic, as it turns out. Uh, we're focused on trying to make sure that the technology fits the needs of these unique markets of associations and of nonprofits and making sure that they can keep working during this. So I think that's really the key to success is making sure that you're preventing problems beforehand. Would you agree? When I first came up with the 5.1 cloud concept, I and I guess the IT guys concept as a whole, is I realized we're doing this wrong. You know, we've got the wrong focus. Typically, IT support guys focus on, I can fix your computer when it breaks, or I can fix your software when it breaks. 
or I can fix this problem, whatever it is, when it goes when it goes sideways. The problem with that is you're always cleaning up messes. You're not you're not and the mess has already occurred. And so people have to have to endure the pain of whatever happened that created that mess. Our thought, and especially with five one cloud, is let's prevent the problems from the beginning. And if there is a problem, they're mitigated to the point that it's not that big a deal anymore. Uh, and so problem prevention is a much better way to go than problem resolution. Uh, doctors say the same thing. You know, I'm not comparing this with doctors, but I guess we are doctors in the IT world. And that is, it's much better not to get sick than it is to try to cure you once you are sick. And that's what we try to do. And that's been borne out uh, amidst uh, the uh, COVID situation because it's the ultimate getting sick, literally and physically. So, yeah. And, you know, I think one more point, and I think we're, we're going to wrap up here pretty soon because uh, I, I want to be respectful of your time, of the listener's time. But I think one thing that I find fascinating is that when people talk about IT, we tend to have uh, the thought that it's, it's almost entirely hardware focused. And I want to point out to anybody who's listening, we have mentioned almost no hardware throughout the entirety of this conversation other than to say servers are bad. <laughs> Uh, and so I think what's what fascinates me is that really for success in IT, what we're seeing is that the focus should not be put on hardware. And by that, I mean that you should have hardware that works reliably, but that is not enough. What you need to have is the right thought process behind implementing it. And I think our clients have, have uh, kind of laid it out there. Again, not to, not to strain myself, patting myself on the back, but we've done that. No, I'll pat you on the back for this one, Dallas. This is a good comment. I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Um, this conversation has kind of encapsulated that whole thought. Like I say, we haven't talked much about hardware than bad servers. What we've done here is virtualized the conversation and not have it talk about hardware because the hardware isn't important. It's philosophy. And that's what the IT guys and 5.1 Cloud in particular, if you want to wrap it up, it's a philosophy more than I can fix your computer. I mean, if you can't fix somebody's computer, you're in the wrong business if you're an IT guy. But it's a philosophy. It's a way of doing business, a different way of thinking about the problem of IT. And that's what we've tried to do here. And, we have virtualized this conversation away from hardware to talk about concepts and philosophies and how are you going to do things and what do you need to do and how you do it is less important right now because we've got that answered already in 5.1 Cloud. So now we can just, we take that to our clients, our prospects and say, here's the philosophy behind this. This is what you, this is what you really want to do, right? And they almost always say, once you point it out, oh yeah, you're right. This is what I want to do. And then we say, okay, well, we can get you there. Yeah. Well, Mike, uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. I really appreciate your time, your input. Uh, I want to thank you for um, just your bringing your expertise to the table. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again as we talk about kind of what the new normal or the future of nonprofit association operations and technology looks like. Uh, until then, Mike, stay safe. Thanks, Dallas. You too. And I'm really looking forward to this, the future conversation, because I think that's the most critical of everything. Where do we go? Where do we go from here? So I uh, look forward to talking to you and hope we didn't bore anybody here. Thank you for listening. 
I'm Dallas Emerson with the IT Guys, and this has been COVID Stories. I'd like to remind listeners that you have a COVID story, and we want to hear it. Send me an email at dallas at itguysusa.com, and let's set up a time to talk about your COVID story. Your story may be just the thing someone needs to hear. Thanks again.